Hey everybody, this is Dr. Andy Wilczek. This week I am talking to Dr. Jan Gobb, an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte, about her research on policing and specifically body-worn cameras. This is episode 10 of Untenured Tracks. trial in Tempe, Arizona and Spokane, Washington. And I was the project manager for that project. And so it was, I lived and breathed it every day for two years. And that project, we got, we had everything you could think of with body-worn cameras, um, sin perceptions of cameras and officer perceptions of cameras and, um, how did it affect, of course, use of force and, and citizen uh, citizen complaints? You know, those were the big things in 20, 2015, 2016 was mm-hmm. citizen complaints and, and use of force, particularly because of the Rialto study, the first randomized control trial of, of body-worn cameras and finding very drastic declines in use of force and citizen complaints, um, which we have not seen um, as drastic declines really anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um but that that project really kind of springboarded me into to a number of areas. Um, I'm a subject matter expert for the it's a long title, the Bureau of Justice Assistance uh, Body Worn Camera Training and Technical Assistance Program for the, the the basically for the federal grant program for body worn cameras. And so we provide uh, training and technical assistance to agencies that are receiving federal grants for body cameras and. Um, so I work with a lot of agencies, a lot of really small agencies, um, but some bigger ones too, that how do they implement, what is the best, I hate using the term best practice, but best practice for, mm-hmm. um, for implementing this technology. And I think a lot of people, a lot of agencies in particular don't, don't really know, you know, the best way to, to implement new, te- uh, a new technology like body cameras, because it is very life altering essentially i mean it will completely change how they do business in a lot of ways because i mean while it is a tool body camera is one tool among many that police officers use um how how it's integrated into the organization can really change how they do a lot of things and so um one thing that i think is really interesting with with cameras in particular that we don't see as much research about is um you know how they use it for the agency how the agency uses it for um administrative review and you know are they re- really looking at the footage are they just recording a lot of footage and then storing it somewhere and then they use it only when someone files a complaint or, or there's a use of force or something like that or are they really looking at it and using it in innovative ways and there are a lot of there are some agencies that are using them very innovatively um, not necessarily just to go look 
you know, go on that fishing expedition and find that officer that's doing something wrong, um, or that you have an axe to grind against that officer. So I'm going to watch their footage and, you know, we all make mistakes. We all do something wrong. And so, you know, no one's perfect in their job. And if you watch enough footage, you'll find somebody doing something wrong, even if it's a minor administrative violation. Um, you know, we, we don't want that. And, but we want them using the footage, you know, are they doing random audits and using it as a teachable moment, basically, you know, are they, are they saying, you know, Hey, we, see this footage and we're seeing that you're doing things, um, you know, that we'd like to retrain you, use it as a retraining tool rather than, you know, we'd like to get rid of you. Um, we don't see that. And, you know, even in the news, we start to see some, some instances of, of officers, very few, but uh, instances of officers even being very brazen and and saying, you know, I'm going to do stuff on footage that I don't even know I'm being recorded. But, you know, one of the things that, that I immediately think of when I see those is, well, the, a, they were brave enough to do that even while they were being recorded, you know, commit misconduct and in some cases systemic misconduct. Um, but also on the flip side, you know, they must know that the, the agency is not watching that footage. And so mm-hmm. they know they can get away with it, or at least for a period of time, um, which actually came up uh, recently mm-hmm. regarding that. Um, but one of the things that I, I really like doing with, with body cameras um, is specialty units and how specialty units use them. And so um, specialized units are kind of a in the wide range of things in policing. Uh, they're kind of a relatively new development, um, you know, mid twentieth century. And um, but we don't know a lot about them really at all about how they function. What you know, we know what they're for, sort of. <laughs> and you know, we we create a gang unit because we think we have a gang pro- problem, mm-hmm. or we um, you know we have a foot patrol unit because we we you know read read that foot patrol is good or something like that, but we don't necessarily know best practice for how to implement them generally, but also, you know, once you have those body cameras in place, there are some really unique uh, problems that they encounter that I think a lot of agencies don't consider because they most, most agencies will start with their general patrol officers and put body cameras on their general patrol officers, which may or may not include specialized units. A lot of times, like canine officers or traffic officers may be included in that general patrol group. Um, but then they just put cameras on them and have the same policy and they have the same training and they have the same, you know, everything is mm-hmm. the same for them. Um, but their unit is different and their function is different and their role is different. And so then we started hearing from, from officers. It was actually during the RCT. We started hearing from officers, you know, well, I don't know how they do it in patrol, but... Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so they would start saying things like, you know, this is a problem for us. And, you know, this is what we're encountering. And it was things that conceivably could be very easily solved. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, you know, they were in this this precinct, you know, that was separate from everybody. And, and the units that I'm thinking of in particular, you know, they were in this separate group, unit, a separate building that was just for their units. And so they didn't have, you know, um, administrators there or anything like that. And so they really had, they were very separate from the rest of the, the organization. And so they, they were like, I don't, I don't know if you, you talk to people, but maybe you can tell them that this is a problem. So, so we would go back and say, you know, we're, we're hearing this and, and you know, maybe we should, we should solve this problem. And um, so we actually ended up doing a lot of focus groups with agent with, we did, um, I think it was, it was over, it was like 15 focus groups with, different units um, with over 72 officers hearing from seven, over seven, I think it was 72 officers. Um, you know, what did they think about body cameras? And they were all specialized, specialized unit officers. And they were telling us, you know, these are our issues and this is what we encounter things from, you know, we have issue, we have concerns about 
um, public records requests. Um, mm-hmm. You know, units that use, for example, um, confidential informants. They're like, we can't have these people on video, <laughs> so because then it's a public record, and then we're putting these people's you know lives in danger. And um, okay. or or officers that have take home vehicles, and they're like, how am I supposed to get you know I, I I go to a call and then I go home because I have a car, and then I you know I might go to a call right from home, and so I'm never go- going to the the station between those two things. So how am I supposed to drop my camera off to charge it, or how am I supposed to pick it up? Okay. Um, and so very easily fixed things with um, with policy changes or just procedural changes, um, but the, but that a lot of agencies I think don't think about those things, and they often don't talk to those officers um, to to get their perceptions. They're just you know you're all officers and and officers are all the same, and so you know this this technology should work the same, and it doesn't um, for everybody. <laughs> So I was going to ask you, um, cause you, you had said that there was some challenges with like, you know, these laws are passed or whatever and, and departments are supposed to start utilizing these cameras. And then the response on the department side of things as well, this changes everything. But I, I think from the public's perception of this is that this is like an incredibly easy thing to do, right? Like you are representatives sure. of the state. We want to make sure that you're not, you know, <laughs> killing anybody or teasing right, anybody, do. <laughs> doing anything that you're not supposed to be doing, right? Because there's decades of, of evidence, anecdotal and otherwise, about police corruption and things like that, or just mis- misconduct or misbehavior, or however you want to think about it. So just the idea that, like, a random department would be told, hey, here's X amount of dollars to buy these cameras that you have to wear... Um, and have turned on whenever you're interacting with the public. Um, and then to hear that departments are kind of um, just flabbergasted, I guess, and how to how to go about doing that, I think would probably surprise a lot of people, right? Yes. So I think a lot of people, probably the number one thing people don't realize is body cameras are always more expensive than they seem. Probably, I hear all the time, well, GoPro is not that expensive. I don't understand why the program costs uh-huh. millions of dollars when a go- I can buy a GoPro for 150 bucks at Best Buy. Uh-huh. And my I say two things. Number one, this is not a GoPro from Best Buy. <laughs> this uh-huh. is a very you know sophisticated piece of technology that um, is is designed specifically for being worn on a police officer's uniform and doing certain things like being uploaded and downloaded and all these things. And it needs to be rugged and it needs to, you know, cause they're getting in scuffles and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that you are correct. The cost of the camera is actually not that expensive. Um, it's the storage. Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of agency, what happened with a lot of agencies is a lot of agencies in 2014, 2015 really rushed to put on cameras on their officers and they went and they bought out, went and bought these, these, uh, these, these cameras and the, and the bought into the, the program and then realized that that wasn't the expensive part. The expensive part was that now ad infinitum, they have to store all this footage. Mm-hmm. And in some States it can be for a really long time. Um, the t- at the time when we were doing our RCT, the um, state of Arizona's requirement for felonies was, I believe, 99 years. So you had to you had to keep all evidence for 99 years. Not a problem when your evidence is a police report and a photograph. Yeah. Huge problem when you're talking about I have to store this footage of this fairly routine yet felonious, um, <laughs> you know, call. Um, I have to hold that onto that footage for 99 years. 
And so it, it became a, a bigger issue. Um, you know, you have, so then people started realizing it's not the, well, it's how many, you know, how many files we're going to have per year. That's not the question. It's that many exponentially exponentiated because you have, have to keep it for so long. And so a lot of people don't realize the, in the general public don't realize that that's really where the cost comes from. And so when agency, we actually started seeing a lot of agencies roll back on their pro- programs, say we're going to not use cameras anymore because it's just so expensive. Um, and especially for agencies, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, misconduct and things like that. And most agencies don't have a systemic problem with, with misconduct or things like that and have mechanisms in place for investigating complaints and things and, you know, and uses of force, for example. And so the cost just didn't, wasn't justifiable with their levels of, you know, we only get 10 complaints a year. Why are we doing this, this really expensive program kind of situation? And so, you know, I had one agency that said, you know, I can't even, I've been here 20 years and I literally don't remember when the ever having an officer involved shooting in our agency. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so if you do that, and that's something that what most people think of is, well, when there's that officer involved shooting or when that that guy is killed in custody or whatever, or dies in custody, you know, we want the footage. Yes, that's true. But those, those are also relatively rare events when you consider how many contact, how many police departments there are in the country, how many cops there are in the country, and how many contacts they have on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So from a cost, sheer cost perspective, um, for a lot of agencies, especially very small agencies, it can actually be, it's a non-starter because they're like, we just can't afford it. We have nowhere to get that tech, that kind of money from. Um, but for for large agencies, certainly, I think that it's important for them to, to have them and and not only from a transparency perspective and an accountability perspective, but um, it's helpful for them too. A lot of officers actually really like them because they feel like it it protects them as well um, from frivolous complaints or or wrongful complaints. Um, I'm so uh, when I talk to officers, most officers will say, "Well, I like," especially ones that have had had a camera, will say, "I really like having the camera because I feel like it protects me that I I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing." And I know that I'm doing the right thing. And so it protects me when somebody says, no, you did something wrong. Um, so, so that's, oh, go ahead. So I'm just thinking about like the, the technology part of this sure. and, and just imagining like how many police departments are, are probably just now getting like halfway decent computers to begin with. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? And like the stereotype of like, the grizzled cop who's been there for 30 years, who still like uses a typewriter, you mm-hmm. know, and then, you know, having to have these, these massive hard drives that have, you know, however many terabytes or whatever storage space to hold all this video. And then thinking like that law that you said about keeping stuff on file for 99 years is absurd. <laughs> right. When we've seen technology explode so quickly, like, who knows what it's going to look like a century from now, you know, Absolutely. like that's, that that's such an, I think a great example of the law being like just lagging so far behind mm-hmm. our technological capacity to do stuff. And, and a lot of States kind of jumped on that and said, okay, well, we need to, we need to change some things about the, the retention policy. So how long do you have to keep thing, uh, keep evidence um, but also, you know, some states started mandating that agencies had to had to have cameras. You mm-hmm. know, we're going to mandate that you have cameras. 
And then agencies start saying, well, wait a minute, now this is an unfunded mandate and you're telling me that I have to have them, but where's the money for that? Because if I'm, if I'm paying for the, for that, I'm not paying for something else. Yeah. So I'm either not paying for some program or I'm not paying for a raise for my officers or I'm not paying to fix the, you know, vehicles or whatever. And so states have really responded in different ways. Um, but, but one major issue is definitely public records requests. You started seeing some agent, some states kind of do this pendulum swing the other direction. Um, North Carolina um, actually has a law where the, the, the body camera footage is, is not exactly a public record. It's, it's considered, it's, it's a simplistic version of it, but essentially it's part of the officer's um, personnel file. And so you essentially short of a court order, you're not getting that footage. And with, with some with some uh, caveats to that, but mm-hmm. but it's very difficult to get footage um, in in state of North Carolina. Whereas there are other states like Washington State where we were doing one of our RCTs, and and it's very easy to get footage there. So so some states have responded to to this question of privacy, and you know, there's I mean, there's privacy issues for for people who are being filmed, and there's privacy issues of officers, and there's all kinds of things going into it. And I think what really just happened was there was this a lot of a lot of high profile events happening in quick succession in 2014 into 2015 and even continuing after that and i think it just really pushed a lot of agencies to very quickly get cameras and like you said the laws didn't catch up with them the research hadn't caught up but a lot of people were basing their decision on essentially five published reports in their articles there were five in 2014 and so and one of them was Rialto, where they had a 90% decline in complaints and a 60% decline in use of force. So most agencies said, well, great, we're going to really decline all the yeah. you know, our use of force and complaints. And, and you know, the, the people really want it. And, you know, it's a win-win. How can we lose on this? And, and didn't really think through de, um, deliberately, didn't do this very, deli- you know, a slow yeah. and deliberate process of being able to think through things. Um, and, and the agencies that did, I think, that did do that had a... a, a a little bit smoother time with their with their programs, and the the agencies that didn't. Um, Ferguson, for example, uh, had a camera officers with less than a month after Michael Brown's shooting. So I'm not sure how you do a, a slow and deliberate process in less than a month. Yeah. But, um, but it's, you know, but but they they had to. I mean, they they had to have they cameras on because that was just everybody was like, why do you not have body cameras? This this needed to have body camera footage, and so the technology exists. Why don't you have it? And and the technology ex- has expanded quite a bit. Um, you know, one of the big things right now is is um, officers forgetting, and I use air quotes with that, forgetting <laughs> to turn on their camera because um, ultimately the technology does have to be activated. And so most, I don't, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, I, could, I won't say all, but almost all agencies at this point do not have their cameras running all the time, recording, actively recording all the time. The, the battery life is not long enough for the shift and they just don't have the, they have no need and they don't have the capacity to store all the footage. <clears throat> so what ends up happening, whether they truly forget or it's, you know, heat of the moment or any number of reasons, um, they, they, or intentionally don't turn it on, then, you know, footage doesn't, there is no footage when you really need footage for a certain situation. Yeah. And so, so to respond to that, some of the, the companies have started saying, you know, okay, well, we'll do these triggers so that, 
you know, the camera automatically activates if you turn on your lights and sirens or when you um, unholster your firearm or when you draw your taser. Um, and so in those high octane scenarios, you know, you're, you're not having to rely on the memory of the officer. You're relying on, okay, you know, I've unholstered my weapon. The camera's going to automatically activate if it has not already activated. And then there's a, there's the buffer period that goes back a little bit. So you would see why they've unholstered their, their firearm. Mm-hmm. But um, not every agency uses those. They're, you know, they're not perfect. They're still getting the, the kinks worked out. And so I think there's there's still ways to go in terms of the technology of, of really getting it to a place where there's not a privacy issue, but there's no, again, redaction is a whole other set of <laughs> problems, of, you know, that it's it's very hard, long and difficult process to do. It takes, it's very time intensive. It's very um, personnel intensive. It's another reason that a lot of agencies have stopped doing cameras or didn't do cameras at all was just they said we don't have the manpower to do the program properly. Um, but a lot of this, and we've only found out, you know, in the last three years, you know, four years. And so um, the research has really, really grown in the last few years. Um, like I said, there were five eight, five studies in 20, 2014 into 2015 and, and in by 20, or I guess it was mid yet early this year um you had 70 over 70 so i mean it's it's blossomed quite a bit and it's an interesting area uh, we have a lot of a lot of interest i mean now it's the big thing now is is moving forward with the the criminal justice system so down i say forward downstream into the criminal justice system you know the one reason that you have the footage is it's generating evidence and then that evidence has to be used by somebody. So how, how is it used by prosecutors? How is it used by defense attorneys, public defenders? How do judges see it? How are juries seeing it? And, you know, does it play well to juries? Is it going to be a new CSI effect? I mean, there's all these questions that become very difficult to answer. (laughs) Can you explain real quick? Just, I'm just curious. An NCSI effect. What is oh, that? Sorry. A new CSI effect. Oh. So, the, so the CSI effect that we see with like forensic evidence, um, some people where you know now we start seeing a lot of um, basically all the juries wanting to see um, hair and DNA uh-huh. and fingerprints for, for for like every case, even mm-hmm. though you know a detective will sit there and say we never collect that kind of evidence <laughs> for certain cases. Like, is uh-huh. you just don't you know for certain things, and so. They, um, but, you know, juries expect to see it. And so then we started to see that we started to wonder if that might be the case with footage. Would they, would, would, um, juries start to say, well, there should be footage for every single encounter. Mm -hmm. And that may be true. Um, you know, if the agency has it, Mm -hmm. but if the agency doesn't have cameras, then is a jury basically saying, well, they should have cameras and they don't have cameras. And so, I'm just that the, there could have been better evidence and you just don't have it. You know, not, not that they're hiding it. There's just, well, our agency doesn't have cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and so almost this like pushback in the jury by saying, you know, the citizens are saying, no, we want you to have cameras and we're going to start pushing back on the jury or on the flip side. It's a good thing because you, know, you might say, you might have jurors saying, well, why did that officer turn his camera off or not activate his camera? You know, the officer says that they forgot, but, you know, they've had cameras for three years. Why did they forget to turn their camera on this time? And this time, something bad happened. Yeah. So I think that there can be a good and a bad to that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, but we don't really know, and we don't know how juries are perceiving the footage. You know, do they find the footage confusing? Um, if you've ever watched body camera footage, it can be very jarring. It can be really hard, hard to see what's going on, and so it could actually confuse them more um, because they feel like they should know, have a better idea of what's going on, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no we, – we don't know anything about how it plays I shouldn't say anything, but we know very little about how it plays with juries. We're learning on the fly, maybe. Yes. <laughs> I feel like this entire field has been learning on the fly. <laughs> oh, and now my, my children are yelling for me, what do you want? Be quiet. <laughs> I'll be up in a little bit. That's why you have editing, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you, Mark, as always, when you hear this. Um, so how do you, like, what are your experiences broaching this subject in your classes? Like, how do your students respond to this? Because I, I could see it being something that's like either, um, students are like, are responding very passionately one way or the other, right? Like I would imagine that like my students would either say, um, this is all, how do you even want to put this? Like, I think some of them would, would err so far on the side of law enforcement that, that hearing that body cameras aren't this miracle cure, like I think that would really surprise them. And then I think I have another population of students who might be very strongly anti-law enforcement who would probably disregard a lot of this and say like, well, we have these anecdotal cases of officers intentionally not using their cameras while they're committing some type of misconduct, like knowingly that they're, mm-hmm. uh, or knowing that their departments aren't going to investigate this anyway. Um, and who would use that as a way to, um, kind of discredit or discount the entire process. So I'm just curious, like as, as you're the expert, not me. So how, <laughs> how do you, um, broach this with students and what are their reactions? Um, so I mention it pretty regularly. It's, it's often an example that I use. I mean, it's what I live and breathe every day. So it's, it's something that is all often at the forefront of my brain. And so I use it as an example a lot of times. And, um, I've found that my students tend to be somewhat similar to yours, but I think more in the middle, not at the outliers, but, but those who are very um, pro law enforcement We'll, we'll acknowledge that there are benefits to it, you know, the, the benefits of, well, I could see how it would protect them and things like that. Um, but don't necessarily think that it's necessary as an accountability tool. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they, it's more the status quo was fine, so why do we need this? And it's an unnecessary, unnecessary expense. Yeah. Um, the ones on the other side tend to be, um, we do need them. Um, there are accountability but there are certainly privacy concerns. And so I think once I mentioned privacy, they're like, well, what do you mean there's privacy concerns? Not, I'll explain it. And then they're like, oh, and they never thought of it. Like that there were these issues of, you know, you're being recorded and that's public record now. And you're, everything you say is on, it is on video. It's a public record. And, it, and depending on where you live, it's a very open public record. And so, mm-hmm. Um, I think they real they didn't realize a lot of times they don't realize that that it's so variable, um, and I think that's true in a lot of regards that they especially if they have experience with one agency you know they might have done an internship or they've um, shadowed somebody or they you know they might have a family member or a friend mm-hmm. who's in law enforcement and so they have experience with one particular agency and they'll they they're like but doesn't everybody do it this way and I'll well no not everybody does it that way and so. That's true of a lot of things, but I think with with body cameras, 
most of my students are pretty receptive to the idea of of body cameras and that they are, like I said, one tool among many that officers use and that there are pros and cons to everything that, you know, there's, there's always pros and cons, um, depending on who you're talking about, you know, the perspective of who you're talking about, but that, um, they're pretty receptive to it overall mm-hmm. for different reasons, I think. And it's, it's interesting to hear, to hear from their perspective, why they think it's a good idea. You know, they may say that from the officer's perspective, well, of course it's protecting the officers from, you know, these malicious, you know, wrongful complaints that are just trying to get people in trouble. Whereas other people are saying, well, no, they're good because they will, if the officer turns it on and they did something wrong, we'll be able to see the footage and we'll know that they did something wrong. If they didn't, then that casts doubt on a lot of things. And we're just in a situation, a climate now where if you have a camera personally on your body and you have not turned it on, you are going to be viewed very negatively. Um, and so that will sort of cast this shadow of doubt over your story that, well, why didn't you turn yeah. on to record it? Um, and so I think they, they view that as kind of that check on mm-hmm. the system that is like, well, even if they don't turn it on, it's not going to be, it's not going to go well for them. Mm-hmm. But then they see stories on the news of people who, even with body camera footage of something, of an incident or footage of an incident, and, you know, you look at it and you're like, clear as day, you can tell X, Y, or Z. And, you know, it doesn't play out that way in court or it doesn't play out that way in the investigation or the officer isn't fired or is fired or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they start to see that to them that demonstrates more the brokenness of the system and just that the system is not perfect. And and I think that's what they start to see is just that it's not it's just not perfect. Mm-hmm. And no system is. Um, but they still start to really see that well gee even with footage and even with video yeah maybe this won't matter yeah and i think then they start to get this kind of dejected feeling <laughs> which is never where i wanted it to go of course but um so it just means that i have to work better at it to make to make people understand but but i mean you know just because we do research about it doesn't mean that it changes anything so there's that <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, studying crime and justice in general, like, sure. it's not a field where you go home at the end of the day feeling like everything is wonderful in the world, right? Like, right. <laughs> I, have, I have developed a really dark, like, gallows sense of humor as a, <laughs> as a coping mechanism, really, to just deal with, like, day after day. And then mm-hmm. hearing and then hearing stories from students on top of it with their own contact or their family's contact with the system and right. ways that they feel that they've been mistreated. Um, and stuff like that. Like it just, if you don't have some way to like defend yourself against it, there's no way you can stay in this work forever, you know? Exactly. And I think for me, one of the things I really love about my work, um, in my research is being able to talk with officers. Um, I've done hundreds of hours of ride alongs with officers and seeing them day in and day out, you know, for an entire shift, you know, and especially if you go with the same officer more than once, they start to relax around you and Mm -hmm. I don't have to be on my best behavior (laughs) and, you know, I can, I can be myself and you start to see them for the people that they are. And, and by and large, they're, they're wonderful people. I, I, I really enjoy my work, Mm -hmm. um, you know, talking to officers and, and, and working with them. And I think at the end of the day, most of them, um, really want to do the job well, and they really want to 
I mean, as cliche as it sounds, they want to, you know, keep their community safe. They want to, that's why they go into the job. And, and I think that, that they, but as we all know, police, you know, they do develop this, this, as you said, a coping mechanism, right. For the, for the danger associated with their job and a number of other things, they develop this kind of thick skin oh, yeah. that can come across as, as very, um, uh, detached or or impersonal or You're kind of aloof rude right? or whatever yeah. and it, and it sound it to the to the untrained eye it's well that officer just doesn't care and i think a lot of officers would say no that officer cares too much and that officer is actually trying to protect their sanity and protect mm-hmm. themselves and their emotions by essentially detaching themselves and i think that that's what a lot of people don't understand um you know, because we teach in criminal justice, you know, you get a lot of students who I want to be a police officer. And, and I always encourage my students, you know, go do a ride along and do more than one because you will see that it's a it, there's it's not what you think it is and that it's not all, you know, rushing from call to call and and, and doing, you know, the, the cops yeah. sort of thing. It's a lot of, I tell them, I say, like, it's a lot of sitting under shady trees and writing reports and you know, doing, doing other things. And, um, but at the same time, you see that they deal with a lot of different calls and, um, they can, they're doing a lot of different things. And, um, that's one of the things that we, I really try to emphasize in my classes is, is the reality mm-hmm. of policing is, is very different from what I think a lot of people think it is. Um, and that's it, one thing that is interesting to my to me is a, a lot of times my students don't realize that we do research, which I think is fascinating. Um, <laughs> they, they think that we, we just teach and that's all we do. And, and so I'll say, you know, well, a student will choose to do a paper on, on body worn cameras and won't cite me. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's what I study. <laughs> and, First and of all, how dare you? <laughs> I'm like, I, I do a lot. Like I, I was like, there's not that many papers on this topic, you know, this subtopic of body cameras, like, and mine's one of them. How, you know, how'd you miss it sort of thing? And, <laughs> and they, they're just like, Oh, you do research. Like I didn't have any idea, you know? And, and it's always fascinating to me when they say that. Your article <laughs> wasn't in the first that. five listed on the, on the ProQuest search is the reason why. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not the first 10 on the, the Google Scholar list, I guess. So they skipped it. Um, it didn't have enough, graphs yeah <laughs> so they uh, always think it's funny that that's what always what strikes me as interesting is that students i think real don't think that we do research or don't realize that we do research or, or don't realize just what that entails mm-hmm. and so um, i remember teaching a research methods class a couple of a couple of years ago and and basically using my experience with this rct is you know well, here, let me explain how you do a survey. And I pulled out the survey, and they're like, you wrote the survey? And it's like, well, yeah, we had to write the survey. You know, to do, wait, you, like, administer the survey? You know, so, so I'm, like, using my experience, and they were just like, oh, I had no idea that, that that's what you guys did. And I said, well, yeah, well, that's that's what we do. <laughs> that's half, half of our job is, is doing research. And and so I think that's always interesting to me that that. I'm not sure who they think does the research, but that they're required to read. <laughs> People, it's not us. So, <laughs> so I, I try to. Oh, oh, I, I have I have one question for you, like kind of kind of related to your mm-hmm. work. Before I before I wrap this up, before we wrap this up, um, and it, I asked another CJ professor this in a previous interview, um, 
So, and that one hasn't aired yet, so <laughs> um, you don't have a chance mm-hmm. to prep for it. Um, so I have this, uh, like this, okay. this weird fascination. Well, not like weird, but I'm just interested in how students perceive like their public safety departments or or campus police on their own campuses. Um, and what I like about this topic is that you can have students who are the most pro law enforcement, like died in the wall. They've wanted to be cops since they were four years old. <laughs> Nothing is going to dissuade them from that. The police can do no wrong kind of mentality. And then you say, well, tell me about your opinions and your experiences with public safety. And they will suddenly transform like instantaneously into this far left wing, <laughs> like <laughs> abolish the police. This is crooked. This is corrupt. This right. is this institution is such a joke. They make everybody's lives miserable. And I, I just think that's really, like, it entertains me. Like, it's really amusing yeah. to, to then try to say, like, well, can you see how, like, people might then dislike the police in real life? <laughs> you know? Right. And, and just how, like, shell-shocked kids can be. So I'm, I'm just curious if you've ever had, like, conversations or in your in your work overall in working with law enforcement if you've ever had like that experience or interactions like that where you have students who are like really flustered with their their own public safety and you have to be like well but here are the reasons why they're actually good you know what i mean does that make sense i think i think i know what you're saying and i'll answer and you can decide if it's relevant (laughs) (laughs) to to your question um so i'm actually in an interesting situation because um I'm not sure if you're aware, UNC Charlotte had a shooting um, April 30th. So I came here after that. This is my first semester at UNC Charlotte. And so, um, but my students are all seniors and a couple of juniors. So they uh-huh. obviously were all here last semester. And so um, they had a they had a shooting. They had, uh, it was a school shooting. It was, a, I think it was a former student. Um, and two students died. Multiple, a few others were hurt, mm-hmm. injured. And, um, it was a, a big, obviously, clearly a big thing. And so starting, I felt like I was almost at this disadvantage because I wasn't there and I couldn't, but I knew there was going to be a lot of, you know, difficulty processing feelings of coming back to campus um, after, because it was, it was the last day of class. And so in the act actually ended up canceling finals and it was this whole thing. So it, that was basically the last day that most of them were on campus and then they were coming back and then they were going to be in my class. And so I, I had this, this difficulty of wrestling with it. And so I've talked to some students about it a little bit. Um, and I think one of the things that, that is interesting that I've heard from them is, is they felt very good about the situation in terms of they felt like the response from both the, the, Campus police and uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg police was was very quick. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, you know. So they felt very positive about it because they felt like, okay, this has the this was handled well. But at least from the students I'm here, I'm talking mm-hmm. to. Um, mm-hmm. But that by the same token, it makes them rethink a lot of things, and so a lot of them are starting to say, okay, but let me think about things like if this were to happen again. So, like, they looked at my classroom and they said, like, the door opens outward, not inward. So they're like, we can't barricade the door. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the things. Those are the things they're thinking of. And they're like, we have no cell reception in our classroom. That's a, that's a fact. <laughs> and so they're like, what if something happens? Like, we can't dial nine one one. So, I mean, these are the now the things that they're thinking of, and it's 
heartbreaking to me that these are the things they have to think of in the place that they mm-hmm. go for an education. Um, but they also, I think they're, it's good that they're critically thinking that way and that they're thinking about, you know, well, what about, um, um, you know, what could, what can we do? And, you know, how do you view your, like you said, how do you view your public safety? And, and I think for them, their campus police in general is, is almost, is very well regarded, but I think it may be that situation. If you ask them, you know, March 15th, <laughs> you know, would their response have been different? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think overall with other students that I've, I've dealt with, um, you know, at other, at other universities I've been at, I think that a lot of times, like you were talking about with the campus police and their experience with campus police, um, or even just policing in general, if, they, if their perception is one way, um, getting them to see things from a different way when they start to – talking myself into circles here. I'm glad you're editing this. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think in some ways, I think sometimes it's really difficult for us as educators, and especially educators to criminal students to think of things outside of how they are used to thinking of things and to get them to view the criminal justice system from a viewpoint that is not their own. And that can be really difficult. Um, And so if they're coming at things from uh, policing is wonderful, you know, they can do no wrong. The criminal justice system functions exactly as it's supposed to like there's, you know, all these, all these beliefs. And then you're trying to say, well, but let's look at it from someone else's perspective that can be really hard to do. And so to try to get them to see, see things from a different perspective, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, we try, we try to present facts from both sides and say, you know, here's, here's the reality of things. And and this is the way it is. And um, sometimes they, they don't always want to, I hear a lot of times, but why don't those people just do this? I would just do this. Why can't they do this? Mm -hmm. And, and so then it's, and I don't think this is necessarily answering your question, <laughs> but but it's sort of maybe. Um, but it's how do we get people? How do we get students to think outside of themselves and see the world from a different worldview? And I think that it's really difficult to do. Um, but that's again part of part of why we do what we do is to get students to really see the whole picture, the big picture of things, and that um, it is a system. It is a criminal justice system, and you know, policing is one part of it, and it's a huge part of it because it's the gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. You, most people will never have an interaction with the correction system, but they will. I mean, everybody has at least some minimal interaction with the police, positive, negative, or otherwise. They they have some sort of interaction with a police officer, and so at some point during their life, and so I think that that can be if they only ever have. positive interactions um you know well if people just followed the, the cops instructions or if they just um or, you know did what they were supposed to do then it wouldn't that wouldn't maybe wouldn't have ended that way right yeah we hear that a lot after some you know, officer involved shootings or or um, officer involved you know in custody deaths things mm-hmm. like that and they'll say well if they just had followed the instructions of the officer then nothing you know that wouldn't have happened maybe maybe not we don't know yeah um but getting them to, to view things from outside of that, it can be really, really hard. And with my students, I find that it's, I just present them with as much information as possible. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Like people think that we have so much control over them 
and just even trying to get somebody to do the reading is a miracle. (laughs) And so I I think in like, I've been thinking about this as you were talking and I, I think that we have an opportunity here to really like sum up what it's like to do work in this field and also just like how maybe overwhelming things in American culture has gotten. So uh, when I asked you that question, um, I honestly had no recollection that there had been a shooting um, on that campus. And so I have spent the last few minutes feeling just like completely miserable and (laughs) and stupid for 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 asking um what was meant to be like a lighthearted question about a a campus that has just gone through this horrible tragedy so i need to apologize to everybody at at unc charlotte for for this and i but i honestly like this this shows how just the onslaught of of violence and and shootings and stuff that we're, we're trying to process all the time like unfortunately you know, the mistake that I just made is something that, that happens to people, right? Like, there's, there's so much that we can only like process at once, you know? So that's what it's like to work in this field. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All starts to blend together. Yeah. So, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.